0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. All right, we're picking up in Acts chapter 9. We supposedly left off on verse 9, but I'm going to back up for just a second. Paul saw at the time is on the road to Damascus to annihilate the Christians there Uh, and Jesus appears to him in a vision and it knocks him down and says why are you persecuting me it's hard for you to kick against the goads and trembling Paul Saul says who are you and what do you want me to do and we talked about that's where we are in life is that we have to ask Jesus who he is not us create our own version of him. Then it says, the Lord says, "Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do." And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by hand and brought him to into Damascus. And he was 3 days without sight. And he neither ate nor he drank. The men who were with him watched the reaction that was taking place here. But it says they heard something, but they saw nothing. And I love this idea here that the people that are traveling with you can't see what you see. But when you open your mouth and you... uh, explain to them what's going on in your life, they will see the fruit of the labor that's taking place. Don't expect every single person who's walking the same lo- uh, area as you are to see the same thing you're seeing. That's been one of the first things that I've had to learn in life as an adult, especially in ministry, is this is not everybody who travels with you sees the road the way you see the road. Doesn't mean that they're bad, doesn't mean that you're special, doesn't mean anything other than, but God has got a calling specifically for you. And it is your encounter that he's, that he's going after. And it's not because, and I need to say this again because we live in a very unique time in life, but it's not because I am special. It's because he has chosen. Not because I have done or deserved, but because he has decided. And he's also decided for these men. The men that were traveling with Saul at this moment who watched the reaction of Saul, who watched Saul now for for weeks persecute and kill these people of the way are now watching him tremble and fall to the ground and hearing a voice but seeing nothing are watching a change taking place in his life. And can you imagine being one of those guys? Can you imagine just watching all of a sudden... Remember, Saul said the bright light was brighter than the noonday sun, but to these men... Nothing happened. They saw nothing. It says they heard but saw nothing. And so now you're watching this man just fall on the ground, rolling around, trying to lose his mind, and you're wondering, is he having a seizure? Is he what's happening? Is this you know what what this guy looks like he's going insane and now he's talking to something that's not there. And you're watching this unfold and he comes to and now he's blind. I I feel like that's not only traumatic for Saul, but potentially the men that were around him. And here's what's cool for me in this in this moment right now is that, that Saul is walking down a road to with instructions to bring death to Christians, yet in a moment's notice, God has struck him down and done nothing more than to bring life to the believers because there is this moment that's about to take place with Saul that's about to be called Paul where everything from the New Testament on dramatically changes. You, you have these moments in your life. We call them uh, a kairos moment. See, there's, there's, in in, in the Greek, there's this uh, chronos and there's kairos. A chronos is your time. It is currently 11.05 a.m. That would be the time of the day. There's nothing special about 11.05. It just is what it is. But then there's these Kairos, these God moments where he steps in, he calls a timeout, and says, I know you're going one way, but I'm going to cause you to see things in a different way. Every single believer has had to have had one of these moments. We call them Jesus moments. If you can't look back and go, I know Jesus stepped into my life at this moment, or I was going one way, but he came to another. Uh, there, there, we have these issues of our salvation that we deal with, and we have these issues of shame that I deal with, these issues of, of guilt of my past, but I can always go back to that one moment where Jesus said, time out, you're now mine. Sure, there's a lot of struggle. Sure, there's a lot of remembrance. Sure, you see somebody that you've once in your past, and you have that, that's embarrassing. But there's always that moment that you go back and go, but Jesus called a timeout for me. And that timeout was May of 2001. That was where I was at. I was at some friend's house. We had a crazy party. It was one for the record books. I hear it was a great time. I remember none of it. But I woke up looking around at the sea of bodies that were laid around. And I looked at my friend and said, what happened last night? And he laughed and said, it was fantastic. And I said, great, what happened? And he said, I don't know. But it looked great. That's a good day. I went outside to find my vehicle and my vehicle was missing. And then I, all of a sudden I had a memory of uh, a classmate of mine who asked for me to take them home. And I'm driving under the influence. That was not the smartest idea. But now I can't find my vehicle. And this is before we had to find my iPhones and everyone could, 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 you could share your location. So I, I grabbed the old school landline with the, the curly cord that went 100 miles long. You remember those? at the house and called and she doesn't answer I called her parents and they don't answer and so now in my mind I'm thinking that my my friend is with my car and my car is wrapped around a tree somewhere and I have no idea what's going on 30 minutes goes by and finally I find my truck my truck is in the front yard on top of a bush it still works but I didn't have to call my dad um and there was no brakes, there was no busts up, there was no nothing. And I remember looking at that. You know what my reaction was? I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> Whew, that was close. It could have been bad. And we all just joked about it. And I'll never forget getting into my truck to back back over the bush that I parked on. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting with my friend. And he, he's like, man, that's hilarious. So we're talking back and forth. And as I crank my truck up, I realized this pit is in my stomach. But 30 seconds ago, it was hilarious. Now all of a sudden, there's something nasty on the inside. And I'll never forget grabbing my steering wheel with both hands and putting my head on the steering wheel going, I'm not okay. He looked, he goes, are you going to throw up? Like no, it's not a hangover, not okay. I I'm not okay. And in this moment, there was this flood of emptiness and darkness, and this overwhelming sense of this is not, this is not gonna work. And for a brief moment, I felt everything. Because can I tell you what happens when you live a life of sin is you have some initial convictions and then if you keep doing it, you get numb to those convictions. Does anybody recognize that? And you get numb and then you, you take another step and ooh, that hurt. And then you get numb and you take another step and, and eventually you live your life based on this numbness. And you're trying to find something, ironically, that makes you feel Because now you're nothing but a skeleton on the inside. And you're smiling and you're having fun. And you're taking great photographs. And you have great stories to tell. But on the inside, it's just numb. You're not happy. You're not sad. You're numb. And in that moment, sitting there, all of those feelings, it was as if God rolled back months and months and months of my numbness to allow me to feel all the weight of my sin. I wasn't scared. I wasn't frightful. I was in a moment right then realizing how wrong and how lost I truly was. And I remember, I I paused and told him, I need Jesus. Why Jesus? It's the only thing I knew. So I went back to something. Something. I didn't run to Muhammad. I didn't run to Buddha. I didn't run to to anything else. I ran to Jesus. Why? Because uh, the Bible says that train a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. It doesn't mean your kids may not depart for a season, but they know where home is. And that's the reason why we plug our kids into church is because if they do go weary and if they do go crazy and if they do like I did and go book wild, even with great parents, they know where home is. Is And I remembered in that moment the feeling and the conviction and the love and the peace and the joy of being at home in church. And my parents who were going to church in Birmingham and I was going to church here in Prattville at the time uh, because I didn't want to drive that far. and All my friends were going to that church. I looked at my friend and said, hey, I'm getting saved today. He said, me too. And I looked him dead in the eyes. And said, I don't care if they do an altar call for people with broken hips, we're going up front. We're getting saved. So we did. We went to church. And in that service, I remember having that feeling of numbness going back and forth. And there was this moment, Elaine, where I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that I had a choice to make. Either I get up and do what I said I was going to do, or I go back to not feeling. But I knew it was for a time. This wasn't going to be this. I have 18 months to decide. And, and God's giving me all. of the, It was a moment in time. Where God pushed pause in my life. And it was in that pause. That I had the choice to make. Two days earlier, I honestly believe you can say whatever you want to theologically, and and we can talk about doctrine, and we can we can go through all of that stuff. But it was in those moments two days earlier where I was so far from God, I wasn't even thinking about him. Because on the honest opinion, I thought I was saved. Because every once in a while I would go to church, I deceived myself in my own salvation. And God shook me for a moment, just like he did Saul. Saul thought he was right with God. Saul thought everything he was doing was okay with God. Me, Peter, thought I was right with God. I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me and my life. What's the big deal? I'm having some fun. I'll go to church, and I'll go to a youth group, and I'll throw a hand up in worship, and uh, yeah, what's the big deal? They have a serve day? I'll go serve at the church. What? What? How can I help you? I'm okay. What can I do for you? And it was in this exact moment, just like Saul had on his road to Damascus, that I had my shaking. And my shaking wasn't with that big bright sun. My shaking wasn't with this loud, booming voice. My shaking was a pit in my stomach where I realized I wasn't okay. And I looked at my friend and I said, I'm going. And he looked at me and goes, I'm not ready yet. I said, no problem. Love you, bro. And I went up and got saved. Can't even tell you the sermon. Can't tell you the songs that were sung. i sure it was something with Clint Brown. That's what we sang back in the day. Don't have a clue what the altar call was for, but I remember giving my heart to Jesus on that day. For the plurality of years after that, I I ran into him over and over again, and he was still doing the same things that I was doing at that season. He went back to his numbness, and I felt the passion and the presence of Christ for the first time. And can I tell you, having those feelings hit is an uncomfortable and somewhat scary experience. It's scary because you're all of a sudden realizing something is not right and I'm not in control. The Bible says that this the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And one of the biggest things that I had was I had wisdom for the first time in my life in a long, long time, I should say. And that was, hey... You're not okay. And hey, you're never going to be okay without Jesus. And it was his goodness to push pause. It was this kairos moment to say, time out in your world. I love you enough, Peter, to say, wake up. Wake up. And he shook me alive and he shook me awake. And I then had a choice to make. Will I respond to him? The Bible says that men are drawn to God because he beckons them. It doesn't say he grabs them by the neck and yanks them across the line. He calls them. Hey, come to me. Come, I'm knocking. Will you open the door? Remember those analogies? And that's what he was doing to my life is going, hey, 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 come. And then you have a response. Will I walk through that door or will I stay in my seat? And I'm a guy who's quick on his feet. I make jokes really fast. I like to have a great time. And I like to make people laugh. And when I put my head on that, on the, on that steering wheel, and he asked me, what, well, are you going to puke? I had 85 jokes to go back to my numbness really quick. This is that moment that I'm talking about. Maybe your moment's not as extreme as that. Maybe your moment's a a Wednesday night church service or a Sunday morning school service where you felt the presence of God, and maybe yours is a lot more crazier than mine. Can I tell you, each and every one of us need these Damascus Road experiences with God. It doesn't mean you have to go off going crazy it doesn't mean you have to go bananas and do drugs and 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 drink and all the things that come with that but what it does mean is there has to be this moment where you have this revelation in your life where you are not okay without jesus and this is the biggest issue that i'm having with the church today is we're leaving out the need of jesus and we're leaving it into what will he do for me lately We've lost this idea that he is my Lord and my Savior, and we've turned him into our spiritual sugar daddy. Well, I'll come to you when I want something, but besides that, stay away. And if you're like me, and you are in that same spot, and you're finding yourself in that same spot, can I tell you, you'll know that because right now there's a butterfly in your stomach, there's a little bit of nerves, you feel very uncomfortable while I'm talking, and I don't even make an eye contact with most of you, but you feel like I'm staring you down. And that's because the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, 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 it's today your day. Because he's done his part. He's done his part by, number one, putting you in this place for you to make a choice. And we can walk through different theologies all day long. I can walk you through different doctrines. But here we are today with a choice to make. Will you answer his call like Saul did? Or will you just stay in the dirt? Because Saul had a choice. He had a choice. Jesus looks at him and says, get up and go into the city, and then I'll tell you what you're going to do next. He could have very well looked at his friends and go, I can't see, taking back home. I'm scared. I don't want to go into the city. I want to do my own thing. Hmm. And verse 10 says, now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said, in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go into the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming to him coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Uh, I I love this. the beginning part is we have this idea of this man named Ananias. Does anybody know who Ananias is in the Bible? No one does. This is it. He's not listed as a disciple. He's not listed as a deacon. He's not listed as an apostle or a prophet. This is his one moment in and his one moment out. In other words, he's not special. He is just, how does he call it? A certain disciple. So he is just a person of the way. I went back to this over and over and over again and and did my best to do as much of a deep dive of this person as I could, and there's nothing. And I think it's so genius of God that God wouldn't use Peter, and he wouldn't use John, he wouldn't use a James, or, or anybody else. He uses just a guy. Just a guy to go pray for the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Just a guy that would give us everything with doctrine from Romans to Timothy to Corinthians. Like, Just a guy. He's just a guy. There's nothing special about this man. The only thing special about this man is he says yes. See, a lot of times we, we, we go through life and, and we need something special and, and I'll get saved and I'll do this. When... when Billy Graham would come in, or when somebody big, I'll, I'll give my life when that big named individual would come in, and back in the day, it was the Billy Graham crusades, and he would come in, or we'd have these prophets at our old old church that they would come in, or, or an apostle this, or a bishop that, and you're like... That's when I'll get saved. Why? Because then I can say, I was at T.D. Jakes, and I followed him, and he led me. And that's great. If that was your story, that's beautiful. But can I tell you, you don't always have to have the big-named guy or the, the, the mighty woman of God. You need the presence of God more than you need the clout of having that person pray for you. And if James or Peter or John would have laid hands on Saul and Saul would have turned into Paul and he'd done all, we would have looked back and go, I need a Peter and I need a John and I need a James. Somebody big and powerful so their anointing can cast them." Come on, y'all. It was just a guy. Just a guy. But it was just a guy who was filled with the Holy Spirit. I've had big-named pastors and preachers and evangelists lay hands and pray for me, and it's been a cool experience in my life. But whether it's this big-named pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher that's filled with the Holy Spirit, or Bill, officer, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit. And it's the same power that's in him, that's in him, that's in her, and and, and that's where we are. Now, I believe in the gifts fully believe in the gifts. Like a gift of healing as listed in Corinthians. So when somebody has this supernatural ability that when they lay hands and they pray that you get healed. I have laid hands on people and I've watched them with my very eyes see them be healed. And I've laid hands on people and nothing. And then they'd go to somebody else and that person would pray for them and they'd get healed. My dad has that gift. Listen, it's a beautiful thing. I can't tell you the times that I've, I've, I've prayed for my kids when they were sick. And I was like, hey, we're going to Pawpaw's. It is what it is. Sorry. And dad put him in our lap and all of a sudden, like, hey, we're happy-go-lucky. I'm like, yeah. It's, it's like breathing to him. And there's gifts that I have that he doesn't have. And that's great. But here's what you have to realize. It's the same Holy Spirit that divvies out the gifts. And when you are sick and you are are injured and you are in need of something and you can't get him, the Holy Spirit is always available. He can be in Tennessee, but the Holy Spirit is 10 inches from you. And you you pick up his phone. Jeremiah 33.3, that's his phone number. Call unto me and I will answer, says the Lord. You call out. And this is the beautiful part of Ananias is that he's not special. He's just a guy who says yes. And just this guy who says yes is the spiritual midwife that is leading Saul into the birthing process that will turn him into Paul. In other words, we can't look down on anybody because in, in, in Ananias' story, he's a nobody. But if it wasn't for the Ananias, where would we be Today. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody right now that needs Jesus and they're scared and they don't know what's going on in their life. They feel like they're a nobody. They feel like they're not important. They feel like they can't do anything in life and everything that they do falls apart. And maybe today is your day that you can look at them and say, I will connect you to the Savior. The problem is that Saul wasn't a nobody. Nobody. He wasn't just this guy that just happened to be blind, and Ananias had this vision. Paul wasn't. Saul wasn't just this guy that go pray for this person like the centurion, or, or like he was when he went to the Ethiopian eunuch. Just no. Saul was well known. In the vision, God tells him a specific street, a specific house, a specific man, the thing the man was doing, and that the man had a vision of him coming. Isn't it polar opposite visions that Ananias has that Saul has? Saul has a vision that throws him to the ground, and Ananias has a vision that brings him comfort. Why? Because he needed to have that peace and that kind of comfort to walk into the proverbial lion's den that he was about to walk into. Because Ananias answers and says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he has authority from the chief of priests to bind all men who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel. The chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake." He says, I've heard about this man. It's not good things, God. Like, I don't know if you know this. Like, I don't know if you understand what you're walking me into, but this is not just some guy. Maybe he's crying out to you, but do you ever think God is a trap? Do you ever think God, he's like doing all the right things, and you're like, oh, hey, buddy, and all of a sudden he's like, gotcha, and he kills me? Do you ever think about that, God? I know that sounds stupid, but we think that way. You're never going to catch God off guard. I've heard many things about this guy. God, don't you know that he's already killed? God, don't you know he wants to kill more? God, don't you know what you're telling? You're telling me to go to somebody who hates my guts. And do what? Pray for them? Lead them to you? So what now? My enemy can be my brother? And God's like, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's, that's it. I want your enemies to be your brethren. Because under the banner of Christ with true repentance, we can see those who are once against us be standing next to us. And there's not a single person that's in this place today or a single person that's listening to us online that is too far gone from the reaching power of Jesus. I know they have done a lot, and and whether they are your neighbor who has been just the worst neighbor possible that you hate, or the leader of Hezbollah or Hamas, every single person needs Jesus. I had a gut check back in 2002. 2002, I was in Bible college. This is obviously post 9-11 and, and, and everything that had taken place. And we had a prayer service and we are praying for our troops in one of our prayer service. And this little kid, about the age of eight, gets up and begins to pray for Osama Bin Laden. And I wanted to rebuke her prayers. That he would come to know Jesus and get saved. And I'm like, no no and I watched my pastor struggle with the same thing and he looked at me and he goes and I'm like yeah she's putting us to shame while we're praying that God you would guide our missiles into his cave she's over there that God you would find him in his cave This is the equivalent of what's taken place here with Ananias and Saul. Because to him, he was the Osama bin Laden of his day. And you're telling me you want, he's blind? That means he can't see us. He's powerless, God. Yes, good job, God. And God's like, yeah, we're going to give him his sight back. And he, we're going to tell him where all the y'all are well God what if he turns his mind and he becomes a mole he says I will show him and here's where you have to do you have to find yourself in a place that you rely on God that he is in control of all things and of all people at all time he said he's going to bear my name before Gentiles before kings and the children of Israel. To us, that sounds beautiful. But that thought right there was a revolutionary idea in the early church. Because the Gentiles were swine. By the way, you are a Gentile. I am a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. This is the first moment, the first glimpse that we have right now in Acts. That just perhaps God wants more than just a small group of people to know him. But maybe, just maybe, God wants the entire world to know about him. It was in this moment that we will see over the next two chapters after this, what God has begun to set up for the ultimate checkmate. And Saul, so, I love this. God says that I'm going to show him what he must suffer. In 1 Timothy 1, it says this, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but now I have obtained mercy. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul looked at his life as an example. Paul looked at his life and goes, I know who I was, but because of this moment I obtained mercy and I grabbed hold of it and I've never let go since. Saul's conversion reminds us that at its core, salvation is something that God does first in us. And secondly, we respond to it. His conversion reminds me that if God finds someone who by all appearances are not looking for him at all, but seeing how God reaches this man encourages me to know that God still reaches out to you. And in a as a pastor where I want to say, forget it all, God reminds me that even in the darkest moments, he can see his light reach every single person. It also reminds me that there are so many of us that think that things are going one way and they're not. Can I tell you that somewhat scares me a little bit if I can use that word. But there's many of us that are as the Bible says right in our own eyes but we are being led like lambs to a slaughter. And this isn't fear mongering or hyper emotionalism but I believe that right now that I'm going to put my notes down and give this moment of opportunity and if you're in this place like I was back in 2001 and you say I thought I was doing okay but now the longer I think about it maybe I'm not and I need Jesus this moment is for you I laughed because yesterday as I was writing my notes I was, I was praying like God this isn't enough like I'm the guy who has tons of notes and I've got a page and a half and I could feel and I was telling Bob this morning like I felt like a spiritual laughter like he was laughing at me like you have no idea what I'm about to do so just shut up and now I get it because today he is wanting to bring you home There are those here today that have lived a life that has been full of pain, has been full of suffering, and you have created this wall of protection, and, and you can smile on the outside, but on the inside you know you're dying, and I know that Jesus today is beginning to take a hammer and a chisel and knock some of that out, because he wants you to feel his presence yet again. There's those here today that have never received him, they've maybe grown up in church, They've gone through the motions. They've gone through all the stuff. They've gone through all the rituals and they jumped, into a bapti- sorry, they jumped into a baptism before or maybe they went to a youth camp before and they've raised their hands before but, but now as a, as a teenager or as an adult, whatever it may be, you realize I have not been living for Jesus and I need to dedicate my life to him. Before you say yes to either one of those things, I want you to hear me. In this life, there will be pain. And in this life, there will be suffering. And by saying yes to Jesus, you will suffer for his namesake. And you will say yes to things that no one else will say yes to. And you will have to say no to things that everybody else will say yes to. And there will be moments in your life where everyone will look at you and ridicule you. And there will be moments in your life where where you're watching tragedy go through. But there's peace that comes with his, his presence. I'm not trying to talk you out of salvation today. I'm trying to give you the real story here. It's more than just a prayer that you repeat after me. Your salvation with God is more than just repeating a quick prayer. It is a daily choice to dedicate your life to Jesus. You don't just say, I accept you, Jesus, and I believe when you're eight years old and then you can live like hell for the rest of your life. You make a commitment to him. And I know that's a scary word in today's generation, but it's a commitment to his way. He's not just my savior, he's my Lord. There's a difference. My savior is somebody who rescued me once from something. My Lord is my ruler for the rest of my forever. And if you're looking for a way just to feel good about yourself, sure, say a prayer. And I promise you, you'll feel good for a little bit. But you'll find yourself systematically going back to your old ways. But if you make him your savior, get you out of this mess, and your Lord keep you out of the mess, your life will be forever changed. And that's what a disciple is. And That's what I'm calling out for today. Somebody who's saying, I'm willing to be a disciple of Jesus. I can be a a, disciple. Certain disciple like Ananias, which is a nobody, or I can be a disciple like John, whoever the Holy Spirit leads. But what I am telling you is this being a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is like the worst altar call, is not something you just choose lightly. But I'm telling you this because I'm not here to get numbers, I'm here to get disciples. And if you're here today, and you say, Pete, I have been living a life that may have looked good, but I've never been a disciple of Jesus. He has been my Savior whenever I needed a Hail Mary because I felt bad, but he's never been my Lord. And you're in this place today, and you say, I want to make that call today. Just throw your hand up, right wherever you are. One, two... Anybody else? Amen. Amen. A pause. I don't know why I'm filling a pause, but. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that as we stand here and your presence that's been saturating our service. We just give you all the honor and glory. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. You are the Alpha, the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Holy Spirit, we give you all the praise and glory and honor. Your name is holy in this place. Your name is reverenced in this place. We do not take it lightly. We ask today... That your presence fills this place. You have seen those who are wanting to be a disciple of you, to dedicate their life to you, to not just say they want to get out of hell, but to bring heaven to earth. You see those men and women here today, both young and old, who have raised their hand, who want to be uh, a disciple of Jesus. So today, Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill them to overflowing that you bring in your presence, that you fill them uh, as you did in Acts with who you are. And God, we just thank you that right now that not only have you wiped away all their sin and have wiped away all of their shame and have done everything from the cross to today to, to, to put them in right standing, but you are also leading and guiding them in every day. That God, as they stand before you today with decisions in, uh, that they have made to, to, to be one of your followers and to, to give you their life every single day of their lives to you, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you are with them in all things, in the good and the bad, that you be with them. That you consecrate them for your call and for your purpose. That as they wake up in the morning, you are the first thing on their minds. As they go to bed, you are the last thing they think of. And Holy Spirit, that you guide their footsteps in all ways. When you lead them, Father God, that they will see disciples following them. That as they live a life chasing after you, Holy Spirit, that you will continue to anoint them with every new day. A fresh anointing. We give you all the praise and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.